in bed, completely hunched over. And I said to my mum, I need to go to the toilet and I can't get there or move my whole body. Can you help me? And my mum had to help me out of bed. And I remember just being in so much pain and crying. And my, then my dad had to help me. And then my mum helped me onto the toilet. And she's like, there's something really wrong with you. Welcome to Allergy Proof, the podcast dedicated to helping hardworking women with health issues get through life. Hey, I'm your host, Ashley Templer, and I have more allergies and intolerances than you can count on one hand. I'm that person that BYO snacks to parties, but I'm also that person who spent thousands of dollars trying to get to bottom of my symptoms, and I got there. From running my own social media agency, Pep Creative, and skincare brand yours only, I know a thing or two about navigating a very busy schedule with ongoing health issues. Join me as I give you my tips, interview your fave biz women and health specialists to help you solve and manage your autoimmune conditions and allergies. If you want to hear more about my story, head to yoursonly.co forward slash about, where you can also pick up some very allergy-friendly products. Hello and happy Tuesday or whatever day you're listening to this podcast. I have been quite busy and I hate using the word busy, but we are going to be launching something very exciting next month for yours only. We have been collaborating with a lot of amazing people to bring you something that will help you with winter and get through it and be as healthy as possible. And I cannot wait to show you. But for today's episode, I spoke to content creator and writer and blogger Adriana Perry, also known as LeBlonde Fox on Instagram. She has been blogging for as long as I can remember, and I had a dabble in it in around 2014, which is when she started, and if you follow her on Instagram, you will know that she loves to entertain her followers with lots of random thoughts, antics, and dance moves. She finished her Master of Media and Communications last year during peak COVID, and she is also a teacher uh, where she teaches tertiary classes on social media, and last year she had a bit of a turn of events and she basically went from being super healthy, happy, no rural health issues at all to needing to be assisted just to get out of a bed to go to the bathroom and it's actually such a crazy story and it was very eye-opening to chat to her because what she was diagnosed with I've actually never even heard of before and I saw her post on Instagram where she actually shared some of the videos of her in extreme pain and it just shook me. And so I decided to reach out to see if she wanted to chat more to spread awareness on it. So I hope you enjoy it and please share it around if it's inspiring to you too. Hi, Adriana. How are you today? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the Allergy Proof Podcast. I saw your story on Instagram and thought that we had to chat because it's a crazy story and I'd actually never heard about what you've been through. So I'm kind of excited to get deep into it so everybody can hear about your journey. But I always like to start off by asking what you were like growing up because it sometimes can play a part into your health journey. So it would be good to hear about what your personality was like, your lifestyle and just your overall health. Yeah, sure. So I feel that my personality has pretty much been the same since growing up. I was always the class clown and I would always be the one that would crack a joke mid-teacher giving the lesson and um, I was always very happy and having a lot of fun. Um, Had a couple of close friends during that time as well. Uh, Yeah, I was a really happy child, um, especially in high school too. I enjoyed, you know, going and hanging out with my friends and, you know, 2008, very different time to what we're in now. I agree. Well, I I think you're right. I think you're the same as what you were like growing up because that's kind of what you like on your Instagram now. Yeah, yeah. what you see is what you get. Depending really? on depending, I can come across if I feel a little bit shy, depending on certain people, I might come across shy or a little bit awkward, but I'm nothing like that. I think it just depends um, on the environment that I'm into or, or the person that I'm speaking to. Yeah, I feel like everyone's a bit of a chameleon sometimes. Like you you can alter your personality depending on who it is. So in terms of your health, were you a healthy kid? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I was very healthy. I I, I would love to say to you I played a lot of sports, but I didn't. I (laughs) I used to play computer games um, with my friends online. Uh, So I was one of those little 
internet nerds, I guess you could say. Um, but I was really health. I was healthy, and I would, um, yeah, no problems at all. I worked like part time when I was in high school when I worked at Safeway, um, and then throughout, just you know, not a not a big issue really with general general health. And um, yeah, it was yeah, just pretty well and happy. Good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> And then so straight from school, so you finished in 2008, did you say? 2009. Yeah. 2009. Um, what did you do straight from school? Uh, I actually, I, I went to work. It was something that I was interested in. And then through during about six months after finishing school, I actually went and studied at Kangan and I got my diploma of fashion textile merchandising. It was pro- That was another part of my life that I really enjoyed. It was so fun. Swan Street is was completely different to what it is now. And there was just a little pie shop down the road where we would go have lunch or we would go to Melbourne Central to go shopping and uh, just, you know, have a good time all together. Yeah, I, I loved that course when I was in my 18-year-old um, phase. <laughs> so. Was that a really crazy course? Because I did the same one but RMIT and I was there like five days a week, nine yeah, to five. Yeah, it was five days a week. It was full time. Something could yeah. be, It was just really just so it was full on. Um, it was like a year and a half. Um, and I think at the time it was Kangan had just recently released that that course. So we were the first 10 people to study it. Yeah. And then so did that kind of get you into your blogging and Instagram? Life? No, not at all. Blogging was something that had just started, right? I would watch, uh, I think it's uh, Chiara Ferragani. I think I'm, I hope I'm saying her name right. We would wa- look at her blog and that was just like the beginning days. I, would, I wasn't even thinking of blogging back then. I actually went into work. At, I worked at Estee Lauder. I ended up working in makeup <laughs> after my course. Just weird oh. how divine time. Yeah, so I worked there for a few years. And then when I was about 22, I just decided I would love to go to uni and study um, PR, media communication and PR. Um, and then I signed up to Swinburne. And, yeah, that that's when the ball started rolling for me. I loved writing and I realized I had a real passion for it and I did really well at Swinburne and I ended up staying there for five and a half years and completing a master's degree so when I was studying I launched my blog at the same time and it went hand in hand and another thing too because it was the early days in Australia to have a blog um, my university lecturers found me and I would come in and guest speak in the classes which I still do now and um, they were just really amazed by it because what was happening with brands, I would just like approach them, say, hey, I'd love to create this for you. Can I do it? And it went well with my assignment at the time for media studies. And I would just go and create these full-blown campaigns by myself and my photographer at the time, Dermy. <laughs> That's go- so good. Yeah, yeah it was something that it, it's so different now. Every time like, I feel like this old age pensioner, everything's different now. But It is different yeah. now though. It's mm-hmm. so different to what it was back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with I love making TikToks, but I'm no Gen Z. So. Yeah. Oh, you. I guess you just make with what you've got. You know, you make it work for your audience. Yeah. So that's how I kind of got into PR, media communication, marketing, um, a creative concept. And yeah, when I went in, um, I just decided, you know what, I'd love to, you know, study my masters and. That's something that I just finished. And, uh, yeah, I just I really enjoy studying a lot. <laughs> yes, it sounds like it. So we're going to talk more about your studying and career down the track because it kind of plays into where your life is now. But what we're really here to talk about is what went down in lockdown 2.0 in 2020. I obviously saw it on your Instagram. So I've been following you for years. So I was shocked when I saw this. So you basically went from just living a normal life, being your funny self on Instagram, doing all of your random stuff, to then all of a sudden something really intense happening to you. So do you want to talk about from literally from the day where you felt your first symptom to kind of what happened? It was the second lockdown and um, at the time I was working online, I was teaching online and I was, you know, sitting for about three or four hours straight um, and I was working out because I thought at the time, oh, I better start working out. What a great time. No time like now to start working out. And I remember that it, it's, it's, it's all kind of packaged in one deal, really. I was working out. I was holding a weight while I was going for a walk. Don't ask why. 
don't come at me, health inspector. <laughs> I have no idea why I was doing that. I came back home and I was like, oh, my neck's feeling a bit funny. And I it went, prang, like this. <laughs> That's the way I could explain the pain. I'm like, oh, this is really weird. I wonder what's going on, you know, what's happening? So I think it was like a combination of sitting down for long time, for long term and then um, going for that weirdo <laughs> exercise walk. <laughs> and, um, yeah, then progressively every week I was talking about it on Instagram here and there and I was like, you know, my next sore, I'm going to go to a physio today. And I remember going to the physio in the big shopping centre completely dead quiet, going to the doctors a few times within that same week, trying to figure out why is my neck hurting me so much? Went to the physio and that's when everything changed. It For me, I, I you know, I'm not going to like go naming and shaming and say this is why and this is it because I just really don't know. He pushed down on my back and decided, oh, you know what, I'm going to become a chiropractor today. Cracked my back and I remember getting up and saying to my mum, I feel really ill. I don't know what's going on, but I just feel really, really sick. And I, the cracking of the back have has just completely freaked me out. I don't feel well. So I go home that night. I go to sleep. I wake up. I'm in so much pain, I, pain like throughout my spine and my neck. And I just felt really crumbled in a way. And I said, oh, my God, I can't move now. So this is the f- now, now okay. <clears throat> the first visit to the hospital, I go. I tell them, "Hey, I'm in a lot of pain. I don't know what's going on. I can't walk to the bathroom." Um, and then when I do, I'm I'm kind of slowly walking to the bathroom and can get there myself. This is stage one for me. I go there. They do an MRI. It's about midnight. The guy comes back. Goes, "Ah, take some muscle relaxer, uh, some endone. You'll be fine." It's nothing to worry about. It's nothing sinister. You'll be you'll be fine. So I go home. A week later, I see then like a sports physiotherapist. He you know pushes into my back. He says, "Is this where the pain is?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course. This is where the pain is. I'm crying right now. <laughs> this, is this a joke? Like this is getting really really weird." I then go home that night. Now this is a week in. We're seeing another physio. He's keep he's telling me, you know, you got to really move. You know, get those muscles moving. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying. Just there, you know, moving around, completely stiff now as a board. We're still talking about the really bad pain in my neck and my spine. And then this, then I decided I was, you know, talking to mom, trying to get out of bed. And then this is where the pain started going into my hips. And I was like, oh my god, I can't move at all now. I'm completely frozen. I can't move. I can't move completely at all now. I'm completely frozen. And I just remember in bed, completely hunched over. And I said to my mom, I need to go to the toilet and I can't get there or move my whole body. Can you help me? And my mom had to help me out of bed. And I remember just being in so much pain and crying and my, then my dad had to help me and then my mum helped me onto the toilet and she's like, there's something really wrong with you. You're really sick. You can't move at all. And that's when I started uploading about that time where I was not able to walk by myself anymore. So then we go back to the hospital. We're on a third visit now and we get the ambos to come out. I vomited and I was in so much pain now. I couldn't move at all. I was just, I can't even explain the pain. It was just out of this world. It was, I don't know, I've never been, you know, in so much pain before in my life. So the ambulance, they take my temperature <clears throat> and they said to me, you've got a temperature, you're going to have to go into the COVID ward. I said, what, really? I can't move at all right now and you're going to go put me in a COVID ward. So then they stretch me on and then the guy thought he did the wrong thing and actually sandwiched me in. <gasps> and I screamed. I swore so loud in my street, everyone could hear me. Everyone's home, so everyone can hear me swear. Goes and puts me in, and I just remembered I then sat in a COVID ward. This is my third hospital visit now, in the COVID ward, sitting there saying, I don't have a fever, I don't know why I'm in here, and the main guy was really angry that I was in there. Then after they 
declared me COVID free and seeing all these COVID patients in there, I was freaking out. I just was really mm. scared. And at the time, everything was very heightened. You know, it was just such a, everyone's all geared up and it was just really frightening for me. I then um, see another doctor. All the doctors are scared of the other doctor and then they tell me, well, there's nothing wrong with you. I think you should just go home. You just have muscle pain. You're going to be fine. And we suggest you go back to your other doctor that you saw before. And at the time I had seen a neurologist and a neurosurgeon and the neurosurgeon said to me he wasn't too sure what was wrong with me and it could be it could be MS and to see this neurologist and then when I saw the neurologist um and then this is now while I'm out of hospital for the third time I went back to the neurologist and he told me um he had a look through that MRI that was first done the first hospital visit and he said to me you're going to be fine you're going to be fine your mom's going to know when you're better and when you're not when your mom knows then you'll all know. And I said, well, what the hell is that? Mean? What, what is going on? What, what does that even mean? And I said, okay, cool. It's just muscle. Okay. We're okay, mom. I can't walk at all. But when I slowly start walking, the pain kind of loosens up a bit. It's almost like a folklore really, which is quite interesting that, that the pain will eventually loosen up throughout the day when you start walking. So it's like a catch-22. You can't walk, but you better start because the pain's going to eventually disappear that night. And then that night after seeing the neurologist, I was in bed talking to mum and I was like, I'm in more pain than ever right now. My hips are completely knotted up. My spine is feels like somebody's stabbing me multiple times while I'm trying to move around. And my neck, I can't move it at all at this stage. I can't move it from left to right. And my mum says to me, have you had a blood test when you went to hospital? And I said, no, no one's ever, actually this whole, this whole month and a half, no one's, or two months nearly, um, no one's taken a blood test. So we packed my bags again. My mum had to drop me off at the hospital because nobody else is allowed in um, because we're in the stage four, locked, stage three lockdown still I get to the hospital and I sat in there and they took me in and at the time I had a really nice doctor and um he was really on ball with things and he sat with me he's like what's been happening and I explained to him everything showed him the videos of me not able to walk because I couldn't express it anymore of how much pain I'm in and I've been in pain now for weeks upon end that I'm just totally out of it and um I said to him like what do you think it could be could we Let's, I actually said to him, let's brainstorm. And I'm just now looking back at that. I'm telling a doctor, let's brainstorm together. What could be wrong with me? And he did a bunch of blood tests on me and my CRP and CSR levels, which are the um, inflammatory markers, came back at 98. He came and saw me and he's like, <clears throat> this is, don't want to alarm you, but your inflammatory markers are way high and I don't know what could be wrong with you. I don't want to scare you, but it could be cancer and we need to figure out why you're in so much pain. And I remember sitting like, there. Oh, cancer. Thanks for letting me know without even testing it. Yeah, he just said because when your inflammation markers are this high, there could be a range of things that are going on and we don't know and I need to be upfront with you and tell you. I'm not saying for sure, but we're not sure. So just to prepare you. And that's when it started with the first x-ray of many scans that week of my ribs and it came back clear. And then they admitted me in. And this is where the trauma really started to happen because we're in these wards that I'm not really meant to be in. Um, You know, I was in a stoma ward for gastro. So a lot of people had just had their operations on their stomach and walking around their bags and that. And it was just really eye-opening. And my mum had cancer when I was 15. So I already had my eyes fully open, but now we're really experiencing everything and seeing everything. And, you know, no no visitors, no nothing. It was just you're in the ward and Mm. nurses. And um, I remember sitting, now I'm in the bed and I'm completely frozen up and suddenly my ankle's swollen as well. It's one thing after another. And um, I ended up having a neurologist 
looking after me because again they weren't too sure if it could be something happening in my brain or they just didn't know what was wrong and uh, she comes in and she's like we've got to do a bunch of scans and stuff I really don't know what to say to you she literally said that to me she said to me in such a cold stern voice I don't know what's wrong with you we're gonna have to figure it out I said okay great and then that's when yeah and I that's when the whole week started and you know it was blood test after blood test and my arms were eventually completely bruised and I had scan after scan, like bone scans, um, another MRI would die. And I had the MRIs, they were close to midnight and I was just so lost really. And no one could still tell me after the third day what was going on with me because I had to wait for the results to come back for people to look at it, to see what's happening. And, um, I just, yeah. And then pre-diagnosis stage, I was just in the hospital bed and I wrote about this and I, could see the children across the road playing and, and screaming. And I was like, that's so beautiful. Like they, there's a kindergarten across the road of the balcony um, in the sky rise. And I just kind of sat there and I couldn't move at this stage at all. And I really, I needed care. So I needed somebody to help me go to the toilet, help me to go shower, help me to kickstart my walking pace around the ward. Because like I said, with this disease, if you start walking, things start loosening up a bit. And I was just, I was just crippled. I was just in so much pain. I couldn't move my fingers at this point. I couldn't move my feet. I couldn't move my back. I couldn't move my neck. I was just, I was a statue. I was just laying there in bed, unable to do anything, waiting for results. And I think that's where that trauma of what I've gone through because of experiencing that stage three lockdown, everyone being so scattered we didn't know what was going to happen with life. We still don't know what will happen, but it was just such a horrible time to get this disease and be in that state, um, be in that kind of environment. Because if we weren't in a lockdown or didn't have COVID, I feel things would have been very, really different for me. So on the fifth day, um, the neurologist comes in after a week of being completely <laughs> annihilated by her every morning I felt like I was in a CEO uh, conference every morning with her I didn't know really what to say to her she was very she was really abrupt and every time you know you'd speak to her it was just just I couldn't be bothered with it anymore at this point so I just let her go and just speak to me whatever okay go ahead I'm I I can't really stand up or say anything because my health is now in your hands and it's another horrible experience to be in and she comes out and she goes well you don't need me anymore because you have ankylosing spondylitis. I said, okay, great. Oh, great. What's that? <laughs> so what? She just throws that at you and then just says, and that's your diagnosis. Yeah. And she said, well, rheumatologist is going to come see you now. Um, good luck with it all. And then walks away. What? <laughs> well, okay. I hope I never need to see you again in my life. I, she was just awful. But the previous neurologist that I had seen, though, worked at the same hospital and he came in that the previous night and sat down with me and said, you need to go get all these scans done. We don't know what's wrong with you and you need to get the dye done. And he actually, yeah, he was just, he felt awful because he had told me to go home the week before. So, yeah, I hope I sound okay because I'm looking, I'm thinking about it while I'm speaking to you about it and kind of going through it again. <laughs> so I hope I sound Yeah, okay. it's traumatic. Sorry to put you through that again. So ankylosing spondylitis, it's a very rare disease, I would assume. I'd never even heard of it. But what actual, what actual test diagnosed it? So what actually diagnosed it itself so I also during all those blood tests they gave me a blood test to check my autoimmune disease um, marker which I was positive in so to, to determine my disease I had to get an MRI with dye and also getting the blood test to see if I had the genetic marker which was HLA B27 which was positive so having all of that come into play that's how they determined my disease. And still at that moment too, I didn't really believe them. I thought this amount of pain, I must have secondary cancer. There's something else going on. What else could it be? I don't, I never, I've never heard of this disease before. So at the time my rheumatologist came in 
And I just remember just being so depleted at this time. I had been in so much pain for so many weeks. I was just completely destroyed. And he gave me at the time, I started prinisolone, which was 40 milligrams. I started another medication called salsafine or salsafirin. And I was also on Mobic. But I will say before that, I was on a bunch of different medications, you know, like Endone and Muscle Relaxer, Silabrix, all this stuff that wasn't really working for me. So when I started this new medication, I instantly, within two hours, um, I felt so much better. I could actually walk again. And it was just crazy because for so many weeks, I was in all this pain and suddenly I could walk again. And it wasn't the salsafine that was working. It was actually the Mobic and the Prinisolone. It was just, I just couldn't believe it. I, I could move again and my fingers weren't hurting me, my spine, my hips. I was walking around the ward like a perfectly healthy late 20-year-old. <laughs> and um, I was the youngest one in that ward as well. Um, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. And I stayed there for a couple of more nights just to be monitored to make sure that I was going to be okay. And um, then the real journey of kind of getting to where I am now started because now we're in the third phase of this whole disease situation because each morning I was still waking up in a lot of pain. So the medication would only last for so long and then I'd wake up at 5 a.m. and take my medication and go back to sleep and then wake up painless again but still walking very slow. And I just remember waking up every morning still in pain and saying, is this my life now forever where I need to now take a bunch of meds to feel better within a couple of hours and then start my life again? And at that time, I, we were considering to get some care out in the morning because I still couldn't get myself out of the bed or get down the stairs or, or do anything really. And um, I had just... Uh, been gifted a kitten so every morning I would go and see him good old Luigi go and see him pick him up go up the stairs hang out with him in bed while I took my medication and and just kind of you know relaxed for a bit and then the week started progressing and I started you know waking up no longer in pain I said okay well this is different this is good because online it said that you might wake up in pain every morning forever and then you have to loosen up and do your stretches and stuff. So with this disease as well, which is quite interesting, different medication will work for different people and people will be in different stages of the disease, whereas they caught mine quite early. They caught it within eight weeks of actually getting this disease. So I'm quite lucky. I'm still very unknown of where my future will go because, you know, I'm still young and healthy-ish <laughs> and getting there, but it just started progressively getting better. And now I'm up to, to the stage where I am, where I'm lowering off my prinisolone. So yes, at one stage I was getting quite moon-faced. I gained a lot of weight. For me, I gained a lot of weight. Um, you know, friends and family knew that my face was completely different. Um, I gained weight in my stomach, in my bum, <laughs> in my legs. So I did gain a bit. I went from 63 kilos to now 74. And, um, yeah, so I did gain a lot of weight from that, from the prinisolone. And then slowly tapering off of it now. Um, I did change rheumatologists though, which I was more happy about because this other guy that I was seeing, we really weren't on the same wavelength. And now this professor that I do see is great. And now it's kind of seeing where it's going to go. So with ankylosing spondylitis, there are different forms of medication to take. So at the moment, I'm on a very, as you could say, or think about it, a light form of medication. Um, but there are different forms. There's another thing called a biologic, which actually puts the whole disease on pause. And you, you know, you live a very well and healthy life. Um, whereas at the moment I'm on tablets, which might complicate, might complicate things, but we're just seeing how, how things will go, you know, because I, they caught it so early, it might've been a one time flare up that it might just end up packing its bags and leaving. And then when I'm 80 years of age, I'll be the same state I was in 2020. 
or the pain might come back and the medication won't work for me and I'll end up on a biologic for the rest of my life. But there was a time that I really felt uncertain, unsure. Nobody knew what was going to happen or what medication would work. As described by one other rheumatologist that it's like finding the right key to unlock your disease. So in let's backtrack a little bit. So ankylosing spondylitis, I know you're not a doctor, but what would you how would you define what it is? It's arthritis throughout every single joint that you have in your body. So that's why I couldn't move my fingers or my wrists and my ankles swelled up and my neck and my spine and my hips. So it completely went everywhere. So instead of having traditional arthritis where you might just get it in your hip or your wrist. Yeah, and so with the two uh, types of medications that you said, you said that there were the tablets and then what was the other one that you said? Called a biologic. So what's a biologic? Yeah, so that's something that you have to inject in yourself every fortnight or monthly mm-hmm. or you can go to the hospital and get an IV drip. Oh, and that reduces your inflammatory markers. It reduces the inflammation markers but it also stops the disease in its tracks. So kind of really putting a pause on it and mm-hmm. people have really seen great results, um, almost completely, you know, being pain-free forever. Um, but again, it, I've been, when I read online as well, you know, people on different biologics, so there's quite a number of them. There's two sectors of them. One, if you are completely healthy and you've never had skin cancer as well, and then one that if you have had skin cancer. So there's about seven different biologics all up for ankylosing spondylitis. But that's a journey in itself to get to as well, because you have to be government approved. You have to be on your meds, the tablet form for three months in order for you to apply for the medication. Otherwise, it's about $2,000 for just one injection. So when you did get the diagnosis, did you feel like it was a relief or were you kind of worried about where your life would be? Because I guess like the first thing, well, I do this, I'm sure everybody else does, is go straight straight onto Google and just Googles what everyone else has and what their symptoms are. Like did you feel like when you read it, it was a good diagnosis or it was just so uncertain that you were a bit worried? When I went on Google and had a read of everyone's Reddit forums about ankylosing spondylitis, I actually thought that this was a forever sentence. And because I say that is because everyone was still in pain on those forums. Their joints had actually fused as well. So eventually with this disease, if if you're not diagnosed, your joints fuse together. So your spine becomes one. You get this thing called like a bamboo spine. So I was just reading all this stuff while I was in hospital saying, well, great. I went from somebody who was healthy, happy, you know, comedian part-time <laughs> now I was just in hospital and I was stuck there and I thought eventually you know I'm going to end up in a wheelchair because some people are in wheelchairs with this disease you know when you look it up on the hashtag some women um, and men mostly men get this disease um, but there are a lot of people on there that are really ill and I didn't know anyone with this disease I didn't know who to speak to and so when I was going through the hashtags, talking to others and finding it out, you know, there was just really some really sad situations happening, especially in different parts of the world because the medication wasn't accessible as easy it is here in Australia, even though you have to wait three months. But over there, you've got to wait months upon end and get approved and it's a whole different system. And just the whole process of you know waking up in the morning and being in so much pain and thinking, I'm not getting any better and this is it. And then mm. we're getting better on those medications. So it is such, it's a mystery. I'm going to say that this whole disease is quite serious mm. and, you know, it. I don't feel that it has been really researched to the extent that it could be. It's still so mm, unknown, I would say, especially for me. Um and then when I started connecting and then one of my friends actually told me, oh, I know a friend that actually has this disease. He's a doctor, actually. You should message him. So when I spoke to him online, he had a whole different, you know, bag of <laughs> bag of issues that I didn't have mm. really relate. So everyone online is going through a different path with the same disease. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. So I guess you're kind of lucky in the sense that you got it so early that you didn't get any of the long-term side effects of the disease. But do they know what triggers it? Like, for example, I know someone who has celiac disease who already always carried the gene but actually didn't get celiac disease until they had a really bad case of the flu and then it t- switched on the gene. Mm. And then ever since then they've j- been a celiac. Was there anything for you do you think that had been the trigger? I honestly think I'm self-convinced in January of 2020 I had COVID because randomly in the middle of summer I had a 40 degree fever. I had, I was sweating and I had the flu and I went to the doctors at the time. They're like, oh, you just got the flu, you'll be fine. And this is before everything really kind of blew up. So I don't know whether I had had COVID. I've never had a test. So this is something that's a bit, you know, self-diagnosed <laughs> yeah you can get a test to see if you have had it though I should get one to see yeah or either that I think as well even just sitting down um on in the chair for too long a chair that wasn't really good for my back uh the, carrying the weight um and also going to the physio decided to crack my back which made it sporadic and go mm. my whole body um yeah I really I really don't know it's I don't know. I, I don't know how it kind of started for me, really. Just, I mean, most people don't really know how a lot of their autoimmune diseases start, but, yeah, it's worth asking. So you had previously told me that you were actually living out of home at the time of, you know, going through the pain and getting the diagnosis, and then you ended up actually moving back home. So how did you feel going through that process of, you know, being in isolation in an apartment and then moving back to your parents' house and not really knowing what your future would hold? So I I lived down the road in one of the apartment complexes, which was really handy. And so yeah. in the five kilometres, but just kind of being alone at night and the pain started to gradually take a hold of me, I knew that it was time to go back home. And I love my freedom. I loved my freedom being in my own apartment, but let's not – um, it's not to say that I didn't go home often <laughs> during before COVID as well. Um, yeah, I just, I had a lot of freedom. I lived independently. It was the next step of my life to, you know, wherever it was going to go next. So when I went back home, I love my parents. They're, they're lovely. But, you know, again, we're hitting into late 20s, entering the 30s, and I, I, I miss that life that I had. You know, I missed all of my life. Everyone missed their lives, right? I guess like, yeah, you definitely feel like a kid again, but I guess sometimes when it comes to your health, you just have to do what you have to do. So if we fast forward to now, like how are you feeling now? So the last couple of weeks have been really good. I have have felt normal, you know, living my life and, you know, us being able to go out again, um, getting back to normality. Um, I've been quite nervous as well because the prenicillin kind of really triggers that off and, you know, having brain fog and going through that kind of situation of these new things happening to me. Mm. Um, yeah, it just, yeah, I'm getting there, but there have been days that I have woken up a bit creaky. And when I say that creaky, I'm talking about my spine kind of has a bit of pain, not to the extent that it was. My fingers, they feel a bit, they feel a bit stiff. And it's something that I'm trying to push back because I, you know, I want to progress with my life and, and, you know, do all these amazing things. And, you know, I, I was teaching two courses and now I'm kind of just chilling out until I go back to work again. But I was just doing all these things. I was just kicking all these goals. I'm one of those high achiever weirdos that <laughs> needed to you know have control of everything so there are still days that I still wake up tired and a bit creaky and a bit in pain and it's something that I have to admit to because I'm not 100% normal I would say yeah yeah so let's talk about that so you're currently not really working so I you know serendipitous I guess you could say that I'm not teaching until second semester But during the lockdown, I was teaching a diploma of social media and I was teaching the undergrad of social media marketing. 
And I had just actually been appointed, I guess you could say, to teach the diploma of social media. But yeah, when I got sick, I just knew that I had to give it up. I had to give up the diploma. I love teaching undergrad and I love teaching about social media, social media marketing, digital cultures, because it's something that I had really excelled in. So in terms of your future with your work, like how do you see that going in terms of will you work full time or would your ideal life be a couple of part time kind of gigs to make sure that you're still being able to look after your body? I've always loved teaching. So I started teaching quite young. So at this moment in time, I feel that my life with teaching, it comes quite natural to me. And it's something that I've been doing for years. So that's fine. That's totally cool. But when it comes to working in marketing and PR and maybe hitting the ground running, we might come up with a couple of complications because I'm still in that recovery phase and experiencing what I went through. I just see life quite differently. And it's something that others probably do as well, especially going through COVID. But because I've hit that next level of getting a disease, I just don't want to be discriminated for my disability that I have. My brain is still with me, which is fantastic, but I'm worried about getting into a little bit of pain here and there. So with a traditional media job or a marketing job role, who knows really? I don't know what will happen. And it's sad because, you know, I've gone to that next level of studying a master's. I've always loved academic and academia. So perhaps maybe eventually I'll just teach full time. Then you just really got to live your life and be happy. And that's something that you need to do. Yeah. And even if the digital marketing stuff becomes a bit of a hobby for you, that's something that still fills that cup. And, you know, with 2020 COVID happening, people are working from home. You told me previously that you were working from your hospital bed. You can still work, but I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing that. But in terms of, you know, if you are having an off day, you can work from home. People know that people can work from home now. Yes, exactly. Life, like I said, life's completely changed and it's finding the right workplace that will fit with me for that industry, for digital marketing, digital media. Because if we, if we go back a couple of years ago, I was working full time. I was, you know, teaching, um, running my blog running PR um, and media marketing for my own um, my own life, my own situation that I had going. I feel like at the moment I'm at a stage that I need to, to take it back and to relax. You know, if we spoke maybe in six or a year's time, I'll tell you, oh, you know, I'm doing all these crazy things now, you know, I'm working full time, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Because I went from somebody who was studying six units, teaching and running my own blog, and this was before I got sick. And I was just, I'm just somebody who can um, really kind of juggle everything. I mean, maybe this whole experience was the world's way of telling you to slow down and that you don't need to do all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't really slowed down in the last seven years. You recently posted on your Instagram about your diagnosis and you are giving regular updates on there to your followers so they can kind of follow your journey. Do you find being open about it and then sharing it with your community makes you feel more supported? I do. I do feel supported. Um, and it has helped a lot of people who have ankylosing spondylitis as well, that they can see what I'm going through and how different my disease is to theirs and to compare and to speak about different medications. Um, those that don't have the disease, it is hard to for them probably to relate. And I guess it's that really fine line of you know, you get worried to post things online because you don't want to come across like, I want sympathy. Oh, I want this and I want that. But I don't at all. I'm really just creating awareness to let you know, this is what I'm going through. And this is why I'm probably different now because I am completely different as I was a year ago. Um, you know, I see things quite differently. I experiencing things differently. And, you know, I have had a number of people that will inbox me and say, you know, you should be trying this juice blend. And at the time, I, I just couldn't believe what I was getting. And I had heard friends that were also sick with different diseases getting very similar DMs about the juice blend and changing your the way that you eat, which can help you for sure. But, you know, I need to be on a steroid right now to get better. That's my mentality of I need this medication to get to the next level of my life. And then maybe when things might, you know, set back a little bit, then perhaps I could change my diet or maybe go through that kind of area. But 
you know, I was getting certain DMs of, you know, you should try this out, you should do this, um, you know, maybe you should go see a chiropractor. So you get uninvited messages that you didn't really want. So that's quite interesting as well. But, you know, I think people can't believe how I got so sick so quickly. And it's kind of something that maybe it'll make people think like, oh, you know, I've got sore wrists today. Maybe maybe it might trigger them to go and get the blood test instead of getting to the point that I was at. Yeah, I also think by sharing stuff like this, you know, you're such a happy person on your social media. And then when you share that, it was so stark and so different to your normal self. It kind of made me think, everyone's going through something, you know, and it makes you feel like you just need to be more mindful when you're speaking to people because everyone goes through stuff. Yeah. And, you know, some people might go through stuff and never tell you, but if someone says, you know, they've been a bit down or they've been off work or something like that, it's kind of a gentle reminder to, you know, make sure that you understand that everyone has a story and could be going through something. Yeah. And every, yeah, exactly it. And everyone is going through even if it's a minor setback or maybe perhaps they're going through a bit of a downer day or, you know, I think we really kind of, we always put our best foot forward online and that's something that we we are very mindful of. And then, like I said before, you know, you're a little bit worried that oh, I don't want to come out and say I'm feeling like this or like that in case people will be like, oh, you want some sympathy today or maybe, oh, I'm so sorry what you're going through. And it's not the case at all. It's also scary too because I don't want to come out and say, oh, I'm feeling well today and then tomorrow morning I'm waking up in pain again. So it's like a catch-22. You get a little bit worried to open up too much in case you get sick again. And- but it's a condition that is uh, unexpected, right? So you don't know when you're going to flare up. It's not like you're saying right now that you're cured because you're going through a process where you're reducing your meds. So you kind of need to get that soft spot. Yes, exactly. So don't, don't stress about that. <laughs> so... How would you say what healthy feels like to you? If you had to get rid of one main symptom to feel better long-term, what would it be? Probably being pain-free. That's what real health to me is. The brain fog is cleared up now, which is great. I'm on ball now. Watch out, everybody. I've got... (laughs) Brain fog is the worst. I get it a lot whenever I have flare-ups and it's just so hard to concentrate and do anything. It is. It is really horrible because you start worrying that, oh, no, I remembered all this stuff before and I'm a person with a photographic memory and it's something that I was like, oh, no, I don't, I can't remember what I did yesterday. I can't remember this person's name. (laughs) Oh, that's horrible. And I still... Days that I've written the wrong name. Okay, so my final questions that I always like to ask people are: so the first one is advice for anybody who has any unresolved symptoms. So if you're going through any sort of pain or you know just a bit creaky, I I will say a couple of years ago I did have pain in my wrists, and I thought that was just from typing too much or being on the phone. Um, so that's also something that's a telltale sign, which is getting these little wrist pains, getting the blood test to see if you are positive for the autoimmune disease marker, which is the HLA B27, getting your inflammation markers checked, you know, even if it's at a 10, that's still quite high. The normal is one to two with those, the CRP and the CSR marker. So if your doctor says, yeah, you're only at a 10, I would really dive in deep and go get another opinion because that is a little bit high and it's not normal. Could be another autoimmune disease related, you know, situation going on. I can't really determine it, but it's good to get those in check. Um, Another thing as well is just to really push it. If you feel like you're not well, go see another doctor, go see another specialist you know, don't feel frightened to feel like, oh, I've already seen this guy. I'm going to go see another person. And that's something that is quite interesting in this industry as well with health professionals. And which makes me quite sad is that, yes, they're all friends with each other, but if you're not happy with somebody, then you don't need to be with them. And that's like relationships too, because your doctor will be your, your full-time your full-time relationship with because I need to give him a call if I'm feeling unwell or where I'm at or what should I do next. So that's probably another another thing to get on top of. Yeah, I agree. And I always say with uh, doctors and professionals, like 
each person is like a piece to your puzzle. Like they won't be able to give you every single answer that you want. So if they're not right for you, they might have given you one little thing that did help along the journey, but it won't be the one for right now. And then the next question is usually for people who can move around when they have flare-ups, but I think we could alter it. So it's tips on how to manage flare-ups when you have a busy schedule. But I think for you, you did have a busy schedule and this essentially made you stop that schedule. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I think with flare-ups, they're quite scary and I haven't had a second flare-up. So I've only had the first initial flare-up. And the second one I have read online that you might need to change your medication. You might need to go back to hospital to be cared for and looked after until you can get to a point that you feel that you can walk again, as well as uh, stretching. Um, You know, you can only now on, I can only really do yoga or um, clinical Pilates, light walks as well. So you have to keep away from weights. But that's not to say that maybe you could get there one day if you have this disease. I've seen people online that are doing some weightlifting and such, but that's not where I want to go or want to be tempted by. No squatting for me. There goes my hot girl summer. No <laughs> but right yeah. now I've just been doing like little stretches and stuff, nothing too intense. You know, I'm just really happy I can dance again. You know, any moment that I tell my friends, let's go out, you know, let's go dancing. I want to go dancing and, and stuff because, you know, there's only so much dancing I can do in my bedroom. Exactly. So if people want to follow you, where can they find you? Yeah, sure. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, my handle has been for many years now, <laughs> Le Blonde Fox. I, it's something that I've been I've been blogging for nearly about, it'll be seven years since I've had that account and, and creating and going full force. And um, yeah, it's been a really interesting industry to be in. And something that I'm really happy and, and thankful that I went and tapped into at such a young age. Thank you so much for sharing all of your story on ankylosing spondylitis because I think, as I said, I'd never heard of it. So yeah. it's quite nice to be able to talk to you and hear your story and hopefully you'll be able to help some other people who might be going through something similar. Thanks for listening to this episode of Allergy Proof. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to this podcast, please send this episode their way. I'm here to help women thrive in life with all of their health issues because I am living proof. Make sure you hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you can listen to our latest apps which go live weekly. This is a totally independent podcast, so I really do rely on subscribes, reviews, and word of mouth to spread the word. You can also find some more helpful tips on Instagram at yoursonlyco and more from me, your host, at Ashley Templar, spelled A-S-H-L-I. Catch you next time.